We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Go, you Redbirds! Go, you Redbirds! On the battle, fight for ISU! Welcome to In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics Podcast. Now, here's the voice of the Redbirds, John Fitzgerald. Hi again, everyone, and welcome in to In the Nest, the official podcast of Illinois State Redbird Athletics from Learfield. My name is John Fitzgerald, and it is my sincere pleasure to return to Redbird country as the radio play-by-play voice for Illinois State football and men's basketball all season long. In addition to being able to describe the action during games and coaches' shows, you can catch us every week with a new installment of the podcast, where we will provide Redbird fans with the ability to meet and hear from many of the outstanding people and stories around the Illinois State athletic community. Make plans to download and subscribe to In the Nest on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Learfield Varsity app, and anywhere else that you consume your favorite podcasts. Although it's the middle of the summer, we did want to highlight some of the recent news and notes currently going on within Redbird Athletics. The 2022 football season is right around the corner, and Brock Spax Ball Club will host six games this fall on the Hancock Stadium turf. The Birds will play under the lights in each of their first three home games with 6.30 kickoffs scheduled against Valparaiso on September 10th, Eastern Illinois on September 17th, and SIU on October 1st in the Valley Opener on Family Weekend. The Coyotes of South Dakota invade Hancock Stadium on October 15th for homecoming 2022 in a ballgame that will begin at 2 o'clock. 
It's another 2 p.m. start on November 5th against Youngstown State before the Birds close out the regular season on November 19th with a 12 p.m. start against Western Illinois. More information on the schedule and tickets can be found online at GoRedbirds.com. Turning to the hardwood where first-year head men's basketball coach Ryan Peden has begun to unveil portions of his non-conference slate. The Redbirds will take part in the Cayman Islands Classic in late November. Coach Peden's ball club will open tournament play on Monday afternoon, November 21st against LSU. The Birds will then battle either Western Kentucky or Akron on Tuesday before closing out the three-day event with a matchup against an opponent from the other side of the bracket featuring either Kansas State, Tulane, Nevada, or Rhode Island. Coach Peden also announced that his club will take part in the inaugural Indy Classic, where they will meet Ball State on Saturday, December 17th, inside the Gainbridge Fieldhouse in downtown Indianapolis. It'll be a doubleheader of basketball on the 17th as the Birds and Ball State will meet in the opener before Purdue takes on Davidson in the nightcap. Staying with men's basketball, redshirt junior forward Liam McChesney will represent his native Canada as a member of the U23 Canadian national team. The British Columbia native will head to Toronto with the U23s to take part in the Global Jam Tournament. Elsewhere, junior diver Cameron Blake has earned Academic All-America honors from the College Swimming and Diving Coaches Association of America. The nursing major from Indianapolis has maintained a 3.82 cumulative GPA during her time on campus. Blake capped off an outstanding 21-22 campaign with a second-place finish in the one-meter dive before earning first-team All-Missouri Valley Conference honors. And finally, Illinois State has captured its third consecutive Missouri Valley Conference All-Sports Championship. The Birds have now won the MVC All-Sports Trophy on 15 occasions and have finished in the conference's top three in 28 of the last 31 years. Illinois State racked up five league titles this past academic year as volleyball, women's golf, women's basketball, women's tennis, and women's outdoor track and field all captured MVC crowns in their respective sports. That is a quick look at what's happening in Redbird Athletics. When we come back, we'll sit down with new head men's basketball coach Ryan Peden as In the Nest continues right after this timeout on the Varsity Podcast Network from Learfield. Welcome back to In the Nest, the official podcast of Illinois State of Redbird Athletics from Learfield. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. I'm John Fitzgerald. Our guest this week, 
the new head men's basketball coach for the Redbirds, Ryan Peden. And coach, first of all, thanks so much for taking the time to join us amid your summer practice schedule. It's great to be with you, John. Uh, enjoyed meeting you today and spending some time with you and, uh, and, uh, at, at our practice. And I'm excited to do this podcast with you. I think it's great and I sure appreciate you, uh, you including me. Well, March 4th, the announcement was made. March 7th was your first official press conference as the 20th head men's basketball coach here at Illinois State. Most head coaches during the offseason when they take over a new position like to hit the ground running. I don't know that you have broken a sprint over the last 100 or so days since you've been on the job. Have you even had time to sleep yet? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of positive change here, uh, I think, in a short time. And uh, it's... Uh, it's, it was a whirlwind there for a while, but I think um, you know establishing our staff, um, making some uh, you know m personnel moves that we did uh, there in the springtime, um, th those those came very fast, very quickly, and um, and then now sort of building who we are um, as a program moving forward, our identity, and um, it's been it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. We've got our whole team here for the summer now, and. Um, Really, I'm enjoying the process of kind of building uh, our habits and, and beginning to build our uh, our culture here as, uh, you know, Illinois State men's basketball sort of uh, advances forward. We'll definitely touch on the transition as we move forward in this interview a little bit, especially what's taken place over the last two months. But I think one of the important aspects of these podcasts is giving fans a little bit more insight some of the people, some of the stories in Redbird Nation. And for you, as we go back to Bexley, Ohio, just east of Columbus, where you grew up, how important, and I'm going to go out on a limb in saying this, how important was athletics during your childhood? Yeah, it was very important to me. Um, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I, I was wired uh, for basketball. Uh, I did play some other sports. I played football as a young Young guy, um, up until my junior high years, I played baseball up until my junior high years. Uh, soccer, same thing. Um, and once I got to high school, I, I really focused in on basketball, and I played golf in the fall. I really enjoyed golf. Um, got an early start uh, uh, as a child. Uh, my grandfather was a, a really good golfer. My mom golfed, my dad golfed. So it was a sort of a family pastime, um, something we did together. And um, uh, other than that, I think, uh, you know, basketball has been, has been uh, a real passion of mine and uh, it's been a love of my life. I don't, I don't uh, say this proudly, but I don't have a whole lot of other interests besides basketball. I think I've evolved as a, as a man here in my, in my 40s a little bit, uh, but uh, I, I, do, uh, I do enjoy uh, the sport and all that comes with it now being on the coaching side of it as well. College of Worcester, where you landed, player for your basketball career, an outstanding career. You guys made four NCAA tournaments at the Division Three level during your time at Worcester. You played for a legendary Division Three head coach in Steve Moore, who last I checked was second all-time, I believe, in the NCAA and Division Three wins. Is that kind of where you got the coaching bug a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say this. When I went to college, um, you know, all I knew was basketball. And um, – and then they ask you, um, okay, what would you like to major in? <laughs> and uh, basketball was not a major at what, the College of Worcester. So um, I went with communication because I felt like that was something that um, 
that could be applicable to a lot of different areas in life, and it can be. Um, I, I, I've, I felt like I wanted to coach early in my career, um, but I, as, I, as I moved uh, on to my sophomore and then into my junior year, I knew that was the direction that I wanted to go for sure. Um, I have a, obviously have a real passion for the game. And um, I worked a lot of camps uh, over the summers um, as a college uh, student and um, met a lot of really good people, influential people in my life. Um, was able to build a lot of relationships there. So um, Coach Moore definitely had an impact on uh, my thought process and my decision making. He's a great role model for me as a man, um, as a coach, and then you know how he lives his life. He's a he's a humble leader, a, a servant leader, and uh, a guy that I admire even more now um, as I'm, I'm older and, and have gotten away from my college years. Like most things for all of us, right? Uh, you you appreciate things even more as you get further away from them. So uh, being able to play at Worcester, where we won a lot of games, um, I was a part of a tremendous culture, and I was learning under a a uh, tremendous coach um, and man that was uh, you know those were very formative years uh, for me and and uh, I, I like to believe shaped me into the type of father coach and man that I am today sounded like you had a pretty good concept of what you wanted to do though working those camps throughout college and that networking I'm guessing has led led you to your first gig as the GA at Miami yeah so one of my former teammates um, a guy named by the name of Mike Yater um, he was uh, a senior when I was a freshman at Worcester, and he got into coaching. He went down to Miami of Ohio. Uh, he was volunteering, so he was a volunteer assistant and bartending at night. And uh, uh, he, I remember, <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember this car that he drove. It was a, a two-door Chevy that, uh, that he probably couldn't have sold for more than a couple hundred dollars. It was terrible. And... Um, uh, Mike was he, he he was a role model for me because um, you know he's a guy that I looked up to as a freshman, but when he went into the coaching field, um, he looked out after me and uh, helped me. He he got me some uh, opportunities there to to work their summer camps, uh, introduced me to their staff, and I was able to build relationships there. And the next two and a half three years, um, to the point that I. Um, replaced him and was able to replace him there at Miami in, in that role. So it was essentially a volunteer spot, but I, I got uh, an assistantship through the university um, that I was uh, teaching, enabled me to teach golf and basketball classes. And uh, so there I am like three months out of college and I'm teaching uh, classes to, to college kids, you know. And uh, so it, 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 was, uh, it was interesting and, and uh, those were some really uh, fun years. Um, and, and people certainly that I worked with and worked for that had a great influence on my coaching life. Well, from there, you go work for Jim Christian yes. at Kent State as the director of basketball ops, but then happen to make your way back to Miami, Ohio, to join Charlie Cole's staff on a full-time basis. Yeah, so I, I got a great break uh, to work uh, for Jim Christian. So quick, quick story, I'll include this. It's a podcast, and I, I think, you know, uh, anecdotal uh, stories like this uh, are, are enjoyable, hopefully. Um, but um, after Miami, so I was there for two years, and um, I finished my graduate assistantship, and um, I didn't have a job yet in the coaching profession. Um, so my, my, my stipend ran out. So what does a kid do? Uh, he does the only thing he can do. He moves home. So I moved home. And I remember sending out letters and letters and letters. And I tried to 
you know, build my network and call guys. But essentially, you're cold calling because you don't know many people at that point in your, your career. Um, so I didn't have anything really going. Uh, this is right after the school year, you know, May and June. And my dad's looking at me like, what the hell are you going to do here? <laughs> and uh, and I've, I, I've seemed perfectly content mowing lawns for $20 a lawn and uh, getting through the summer, you know. But he, um, he paid for me. He was a realtor. And my dad was in the real estate business for 35 years and um, spotted me some money to, to pay for real estate classes. And uh, truthfully, it, I wasn't really interested um, and um, I went through with it. I, I did six weeks of real estate classes all day long. Uh, it was boring as can be for me. Um, and this was early August. I um, go to take my real estate exam, and I passed it by one point. And I mean, and I, I, I did not even think I was going to pass, but I passed by one point. And um, lo and behold, this is a true story. Um, I get out of my real estate exam, um, and I was at this random testing center, uh, I get out of the real estate exam, I had a message on my telephone, and it was from Jim Christian at uh, Kent State University. He was a head coach there, had just got the job, and their director of basketball operations left in August, which never happens. You know, guys don't leave jobs in August. Usually, you know, if there's turnover, it's right after the season. So um, he called me and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this job, and would you want to come up? And I said, yes. And uh, I went home and, you know, talked it over with my parents. I went up there the next day. He offered me the job, and the rest is history. So I, I had a real estate license. I still owe my dad a couple grand for that class. <laughs> and uh, I never paid back. But my real estate license, uh, unfortunately, went in, invalid there after a couple years. But um, I was almost headed down a completely different path because I had to. And, uh, you know, the, I like to think the, the man above had a, had a plan for me. And um, I got a break and uh, was able to, uh, you know, make the most of it. I was at Kent State for, for three years, had some great uh, memories from there, coached with some tremendous coaches. Uh, you know, Jim Christian went on to coach uh, at uh, TCU and Boston College and Ohio University. He's a great, he's a great coach. Rob Senderoff was on that staff. He's the head coach at Kent State. Gino Ford was on that staff. He's the head coach at Stony Brook. And uh, Rob Murphy was on that staff as well. And Rob's in the front office with the Detroit Pistons now. So some really uh, high-level coaches and, and um, you know, had a, had a great experience there. Charlie Coles gave me my break, um, and uh, I am forever indebted to him. He was uh, as influential as any guy that uh, I've ever worked for. Uh, I, I swear I think about him uh, daily, and he's ingrained in, in my head in terms of my, my coaching principles and values and thought processes. So I owe so much to, to Charlie Coles because he gave me a break to be a full-time assistant. And, uh, you know, I was making 31000 and, and and it felt to me at that point like $8 million a year. It, it, it was so awesome, and I had benefits. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that was, uh, it was a great break for me, and, and it kind of jump-started my, my actual coaching career. Then he got some experience up the road, University of Toledo under Todd Kowalczyk, and really a, a significant rebuild that you guys were able to see the fruits of your labor very quickly. Yeah, I learned so much there about, um, you know, from Todd in, in a lot of areas. Todd's, a, a, I think I say this all the time, he's a, uh, the best CEO I've ever been around. He's a tremendous uh, leader, knows how to run a program and taught us how to learn a program from top to bottom. Uh, I think he's tremendous. Um, he um, inherited a program that was in a bad place at the time. Um, we had a ton of turnover. 
And I say this, and I'm very literal when I say this, I think we were probably one of the 10 worst uh, teams in college basketball that year. We were four and 28 on the season. And, um, you know, we had a, three transfers that were sitting out in that day. Believe it or not, transfers had to sit out back then. That's right. John, you know, I mean, that times was, have changed. Times have changed. So, um, you know, we had three guys sitting out. Um, we started two walk-ons. We sort of bit the bullet for a year to try to establish our culture and uh, look big picture, look long term. And Todd was was tremendous with that. kept uh, kept our staff in a good place. Uh, he was in a good place mentally in terms of understanding this was a necessary part of our of our uh, rebuilding process. And I'll tell you what, um, going through a year like that when you're four and twenty eight and you go into games really sort of realizing in your head we don't have much of a shot that's it that's it's so anti um coaching that's so anti what what uh you know we're, we're we're natural competitors you know as coaches and and we figure it out and if it's not working we're going to figure it out and quite frankly we just didn't have the the talent um uh, that year but i learned so much uh, as a coach, and I think uh, for all coaches, if you have one year in your coaching career uh, where you hit rock bottom, I think it uh, it can be a beneficial thing. I say that uh, in a serious way because uh, I learned so much that year uh, about seeing the big picture and keeping a positive attitude and positive outlook and, and uh, you know, um, just sort of keeping things in perspective. But, um, yeah, it, it – it, uh, it's like when you touch the stove and you know you don't ever want to do that ever, ever, ever again. That's how it felt. So, And at that point, you head down for the first time to Big Ten country, just down the road, that institution of higher learning in Champaign. Yeah. So that was a, a unique opportunity because I had been in the Mid-American Conference um, at three different institutions for a total of 13 years. And um, I felt at that point in my career that I needed to branch out. And this was an opportunity for me to go and be a, a you know, member of a staff at a high major program. And um, the unique thing was I went from being an on-the-court assistant coach that could go out recruiting, could be on-the-court coaching. I took a position at Illinois that was a non-coaching position technically, but all I was you know, I was basically in the office um, and I was another set of eyes and ears from a basketball perspective for Coach Gross. And um, I learned so much. It was a completely different um, um, viewpoint for me. But it was all basketball. I just couldn't coach on the floor. So I could relay the message. I could tell Coach my observations. And I was involved in all of our scouting reports and things like that. But um, literally, I, I was in the office uh, morning, noon, and night and working for a guy that I, I think is, is a real heck of a head coach. He's a tremendous head coach. And um, I learned a lot uh, from him, and I learned a lot from that seat. Uh, gave me a completely different vantage point, and I like to think that made me, uh, you know, made me, those two years made me a, a lot better coach. Great to see that different angle of things, but I think a coach at heart, still at the same point, something's gnawing at yourself saying, I need to get back on the floor. I need to go back out recruiting. That's, I'm assuming, what led you to Butler. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
you know, I've always said, you know, I wanted to be a head coach. I, I knew that, but I've always said if, if I could have stayed in that position and that was a means to getting me to where I wanted to go eventually and become a head coach, I could have done it. Um, but the reality was it wasn't. And to become a head coach, I, I had to get back on the road recruiting. Um, I had to get back on the floor. And um, this was after a practice uh, February of my second year at, um, at um, Illinois. And I said to Coach Gross, we were in the locker room uh, afterwards and after a practice, and I said, hey, uh, you know, do you know what Holtman is doing with his staff? Uh, because at that point, Chris had gone from being an assistant coach at Butler to being the interim head coach at Butler to being the permanent head coach at Butler uh, in a matter of like two months. And um, so, so um, he said, you know what, Pito? He said, I can help you with that one. And he, he knows Chris really well. Uh, Chris had worked for John at Ohio University uh, when, and John you know, got the Ohio University head coaching job. And um, he did. He went to work for me. I'm forever indebted to him for that because that, that, was, that was probably the biggest break uh, of my coaching career because it, it got me to uh, Butler University. Uh, got me working with uh, Chris Holtman that I, I, I love and admire and work so well with. And um, it took me from a non-coaching role to back to a coaching role. So it was a major break for me. Um, and I, of course, was very thankful and appreciative and always always have been and always will be to John, uh, indebted to him for, for helping me out there. Well, two years under Chris at Butler, back-to-back NCAA tournaments. And Chris named the head coach at Ohio State, which is literally a stone's throw from where you grew up. You spent five years with them at Ohio State, five consecutive NCAA tournament bursts with the Buckeyes. So seven straight and really a phenomenal relationship with that head coach in your backyard of the school that you used to attend and be a ball boy for. That had to be a really special time in your life, especially in your coaching career. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, the two years at Butler – um, taught me so much as a head coach, um, you know, their, their way of doing things, the Butler way, and um, just the values and principles that, they're, that guide their program. And, uh, and I learned uh, so much as a basketball coach, um, as a program builder, and as a culture builder that um, it helped me so much along the way. Um, he gets a job at Ohio State, and it was um, – it was it was unbelievable to be honest. Uh, in our profession, you can't control where you go. Um, you follow the job, and um, you know very rarely does a job lead you back home. And um, it did. And and as you said, I, I grew up you know 15 minutes away from the campus there at Ohio State. Um, I, w- I was I was a ball boy, season ticket holders. My dad, my mom, my sister, and I would go for years and years and years. Um, so yeah, that that was uh, that was very meaningful. Uh, it was very unique, and uh, it was really special. So, um, um, you know, I, I've, I look back on those years as, as, as really um, enjoyable years, and, uh, you know, uh, we had some really good success there that I'm very proud of and, you know, helped to build a, build a culture and build a program there that's built to, uh, for sustained su- success there in the Big Ten Conference. The wins were tremendous. The NCAA tournament berths tremendous with the Buckeyes, but – you know, outside of the wins and losses, especially for a coach, I thought one of the real special things most recently for you, a really special day a couple of weeks ago, first night of the NBA draft, two of your Buckeyes go on that opening night, Malachi Branham, 20th overall to the San Antonio Spurs, and then 
EJ Liddell goes to the Pelicans with the 41st overall pick. That has to be, from a coaching perspective, a really special day to see the hard work of individuals like that move on to the next level. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, in our in our world, in our profession, it's no different uh, than professors at a school. Um, you know, you have a passion for what you're doing. You have a passion for teaching. But ultimately, in our world, um, we're helping young men um, build a foundation for the rest of their lives. And um, we're, we're, we're dealing with them and coaching them and mentoring them in some very formative years um, where they have big dreams and hopes and, and visions for their future. Um, almost every kid that we coach would, would die to play in the NBA, you know. And um, when you see that happen and come to fruition for guys um, that do it the right way, that work so hard, um, that follow the path and, and, and you know, that, that fight through adversity. Both of those young men fought through adversity along the way and their true success story. So um, as a coach, um, and I think most coaches would tell you this, it, it's, um, it's one of the most gratifying um, moments uh, in, in, uh, in our world uh, when you uh, can be with them and, and see them realize their dreams. And for these guys to both be drafted um, on draft night, that was, um, that was uh, truly, truly special. And, uh, you know, really proud of them. They come from wonderful families, both are high-character young men. Um, they're great people. They're very coachable. Um, and I've said, I've said this to a couple of NBA teams. I said, you know, I can coach for 50 years, and those are two guys that will always be on my Mount Rushmore. Um, and so I'm very proud of them, and, uh, you know, a lot of love there for, for those, those guys and their families. Well, that takes us a little bit more to present day. We go back to March. You're in the midst at Ohio State of going into the NCAA tournament with the Buckeyes. This position comes open. The whole search process takes place. I would assume it's not probably the first foray you've had into looking at a head job. It's something that you've wanted to do. However, not all head jobs are created equal. And I think the big misconception with assistant coaches at times is, well, if our fan base, a fan base might believe that, well, our head job's open. We're going to get power five assistants from across the country because we have a division one head job. But at the same time, assistant coaches, especially ones coming from successful places, have to know that you have to pick very, very carefully on what that first head job is going to be. So that being said, what made Illinois State be a place that was really worth pursuing in your mind? Well, John, you bring up an interesting point because I was in a very unique position. I'm in my hometown. I'm working for a guy that I love. We're having great success. And uh, uh, I love my job. You know, I was, in a great, I was in a great spot. I knew I wanted to be a head coach. Um, I had been picky uh, to that point in my, in my Ohio State tenure. And um, when, that, when this job came open, this was like, way different uh, for me, way different than other jobs because I, I, I knew um, what I thought of it. Um, I had been here one time back in 2007 when I was coaching at Miami of Ohio. We played here. So I sort of had a, a memory seared in my mind of, of what this place was like. And um, I knew what some of my friends had, had said uh, and, and, you know, uh, comrades in the business had said about this job from afar. So um, I dug in and I did some research on my end. Um, and, and 
it sort of, you know, to be honest, it confirmed what I thought. I talked to some coaches in this league. They thought this is uh, one of or the best job in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that validated my thinking. Um, and I, I think this is a this is a home run place, John. Uh, it, it checks all the boxes for me. A combination of uh, wonderful town uh, to live in, to recruit to, uh, beautiful campus. Um, high academics here, high level of academics, so we can go into a living room and talk about academics and leaving here with a very prestigious degree that can get you somewhere in life. Um, you can't find that everywhere. Um, uh, unbelievable facilities. I realize this is a basketball school. These people are very invested in this program, um, and basketball means a lot to the people in this community. Um, that appealed to me at a high level. I want to be somewhere where basketball is important. I really do. And, uh, you know, throw me in the fire. I, I, I love that. And, um, you know, we we've, we've certainly have uh, a long way to go here with, with uh, where we want to be. But um, for all those reasons, um, it was a home run for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I was thankful I, could, I was able to get involved with the job because I knew there was going to be so much interest. So as we said, March 4th, it's announced. Now all of a sudden you have to move wife Stephanie. Son Maddox, clean up any loose ends, I'm sure, at Ohio State as you're deep into recruiting at that point, having just finished the season, and then figure out what the product is here, put together an assistant coaching staff, buy a house, which I'm assuming you did on your own since you do have a realtor's license now. <laughs> but a lot to come into play in about, oh, 100, 120 days you've been on the job so far. Transition-wise, what was your first step? And at what point did you start to really put together your assistant coaching staff and who are some of those figures? Yeah, so I'll take you back to um, getting the job, you know, um, March 4th, and uh, I believe that was a Friday. We just played Michigan State. We still had another week, week and a half left in our regular season, then the Big Ten tournament, and then the NCAA tournament. So I knew going in, I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> this isn't like – this is a week away. This, is, this could be two or three weeks away. So I've, I told myself I had to really, um, I had to really compartmentalize um, what I felt was going to be most important in, the, in that moment um, and the moments that came shortly after. Um, I had a responsibility to our team and our program there at Ohio State. Uh, that's not something I took lightly. Um, I believe, and I teach our guys here, um, so much uh, is so much of life is how you start and then how you finish. Um, you know how you walk into a room, but m most importantly, like how you leave it too. And um, so I, I wanted to I wanted to um, see that through, and I did. Uh, obviously, I'm juggling there for two and a half weeks. I, I, I think that's an obvious statement, and if you know, it's rare that anyone's in that position in our field, uh, basketball. But um, I was, and I did what anybody else would do: um, is I, I did the best I could possibly do uh, in both roles. And um, I thought uh, the natural thing for me was going to be like try to do it until four or five in the morning and then sleep two hours and then do it all over again. And I felt like that's not going to be, um, that's not going to be a formula for me being at my best. 
So I did everything I could possibly. I was probably up later than normal, uh, but I was doing everything I could for both programs uh, in that interim. And uh, th there was a reality to it that I was only going to be able to do so much uh, as head coach at Illinois State because uh, I couldn't get face-to-face -face with our players. I did FaceTime with them. I did call them. We, we began to build relationships. But um, the reality was the true um, – foundation of our program wasn't going to be able to start until I got here. So, um, you know, I, I, I did the best I could there. Um, and then and then once the season was over, John, uh, uh, you know, figuring out, you know, my staff. I think that was that was you know, first and foremost. And I was doing that in the week or two um, prior to getting here as well. But uh, figuring out my staff once I got here, biggest priority for me was sitting down and meeting with these players. Uh, eyeball to eyeball. That's how I operate best. I'm able to get a feel for guys, I'm able to communicate my vision to them, and then uh, kind of figure out from there, um, you know, what what our program, how it was going to take shape. Um, I had to do an analysis, uh, evaluation of our program in a short time. The reality was that um, there's a lot of movement that happens in college basketball in the month of March and April, months of March and April. And uh, I was going to have to evaluate our program as quickly and thoroughly as possible and then um, decide what direction we were going to go with, you know, with our, with our roster. So, um, yeah, that, 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 uh, that was a really interesting time. But um, I feel very good uh, about uh, the roster that we have put in place. Um, and um, I love the direction that we're headed. I love the character of the young man in our locker room. And, um, um, you know, I, I, these are guys that I, I will go to battle for and run through a wall for. So um, I, I, I love them. I love them, and I, I'm very excited about, you know, where we're headed with this thing. Obviously, we talked about the fact you have worked under and alongside an outstanding number of highly successful coaches in Division I basketball. As you filter through and kind of go with that trust, loyalty, circle of trust, when you build a staff, how important was that aspect and really leaning on some of those guys for some direction? That's a great question. So I, I, I learned a lot about myself through the hiring process. I've never been in a position like that before. You know, there's a certain point where you go from an assistant to a head coach or in, in the business world uh, to becoming the, the CEO or the boss. And uh, as much as you prepare for that, I think there's, there are moments that, um, you know, are very, um, you know, uh, revealing about, uh, about that position and, and probably revealing about my inner self as well. And I learned that uh, uh, the trust factor was vitally important to me. Okay, uh, I had a vision of sort of how I wanted to put my staff together, but what I realized as I went along is um, guys that I had worked with and guys that I knew exactly how they worked because I've seen it, um, those guys kind of moved to the very front for me. And, uh, and if you look at our staff, uh, it's made up and comprised of guys like that. Rob Judson would be the, the, uh, you know, the, the outlier there, but Rob – has such a body of work, and I was able to talk to so many people who had worked with him. And I knew how I felt about Rob from uh, seeing him on the road, but also competing against him when he was head coach at Northern Illinois. So um, that was a that was a much safer uh, decision than maybe some others. Um, and uh, I built our staff. Here's the, here's the way I look at it: is I want to I want to build a staff with 
um, and alignment um, that have qualities that uh, we want to attract in players. So um, if I'm uh, saying that I want uh, energy givers and uh, upbeat, positive, uh, energetic players, I've got to have energy givers and upbeat, positive, energetic coaches uh, as well. And um, when you do that, uh, you're able to attract people like yourself a lot easier um, than uh, trying to be someone you're not or um, trying to find people that may not uh, be the best fits for your program. So I tried to uh, look at it through that lens is I wanted to uh, hire guys that have a lot of the same qualities of the kids that we're trying to attract. And uh, I'm, I feel really good about our staff. Um, they've got great energy. Uh, they're very knowledgeable. Uh, they all have had very successful backgrounds and, um, and all are, are very well-rounded too. That was important to me. I didn't want to hire just a recruiter. And I, I also didn't want to hire a guy that's just a coach. Uh, it is very important to me that uh, guys are well-rounded. And um, I think the, the value um, in guys that, that have those qualities um, in our business, uh, that goes a long way. When you talk about personnel, as you take over this program, the, the quick evaluation you had to do, um, probably from Columbus for a good chunk of that too. But when you finally did get here, the quick evaluation, figuring out what direction you're going to go personnel-wise, there's a bad rap in the transfer portal and those aspects and just kind of the free-for-all that you have to really figure out. You keep recruiting players year after year to make sure they stay. But from a positive standpoint, I would think starting over in a new program with a new staff, trying to get buy-in, when you have six newcomers who are transfers just like the coaching staff, I would think there's a little bit more of the feel that everybody's pulling on the same rope now as opposed to maybe 12 to 14 returners who are looking at the new coaching staff with maybe a raised eyebrow of what they're going to bring to the table. I would think this is almost a blank slate where you can really attack things going into this year. Yeah, it's a, it, I think that's a great point um, and, and maybe a way that I hadn't uh, really thought of it because I, I think you're exactly right. There's a healthy balance on our roster right now of guys that are newcomers um, and guys that have been here. And uh, how those guys uh, choose to mesh and uh, choose to commit to um, our culture and our program moving forward is going to dictate the success of our program here in the short term and also in the long term. So... Um, Creating the buy-in, I, I, I told our uh, team this uh, in our first meeting uh, this, this uh, summer, and I said it to the guys um, as we were going through workouts in the spring, the guys that were here. Um, I said, listen, I said, I have one goal uh, for this program uh, right now, and that is to create the most committed locker room in America. And that's a choice. That's something we can control. Um, and if we focus on the buy-in, uh, we as a coaching staff have to do a, a phenomenal job of identifying what that is and then, um, you know, implementing that, communicating that to them and implementing it. But um, I want them to focus on the buy-in um, and being totally just immersed and committed to who we are as a program, how we want to play, um, who we want to be as individuals on and off the floor, um, the selflessness that we want to have, the humility that we want to have, the toughness that we want to play with. I could go on and on. But um, 
as a coach uh, and leader of the program, I've got to be able to identify those things and communicate them. It's not, it's not terribly complicated, but uh, I got to make sure that they understand exactly uh, what this is going to look like. And um, at the end of the day, for all of us, it's a, it's a choice. It's like anything in life, um, you know, uh, our, our commitment and our buy-in uh, on a daily basis is, is going to it's going to define us as individuals and as a team. So um, that's that's our that's our challenge ahead of us, and um, you know that's why you recruit guys that you want to be around. You know um, we need talented players here, but I also want to be around guys. Uh, I want to coach guys that I want to be around. It sounds really simplistic, but it's true. It's true. And and my 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 old boss at Ohio State, he he gave me one piece of advice. He said, you know. When you're assembling a roster, he said, in your first year, assemble a team that you can lose with. And it sounds crazy. It sounds backwards. But at the end of the day, um, don't be sitting on on the bus or getting on a plane, headed home, and saying, these guys are not our kind of guys. Uh, we got to assemble a, a group of guys here in, in the short term that will run through a wall for Illinois State, and that's that's what we're looking for, and and uh, I'm confident we've got a group of those guys in our locker room right now. So I'm, it motivates me, and I'm really excited about it. Well, you and your staff have definitely been hard at work, and sometimes it's difficult to see the forest from the trees. But as, as somebody who's come down here and now in the process of moving down here, the excitement for this program is palpable right now. There's a ton of energy around town on campus for this program which is one of the things that attracted you, I think, to the Illinois State job, as you mentioned. How important is it from a reach-out standpoint, and maybe even what message would you like to get to alums to really get back engaged at Redbird Arena during the winter? I'd like to get a, a real simple message, and it's not uh, only to alums, but I, I will speak to alums, and we've, we have spoken to alums. I want to speak to season ticket holders. I want to speak to boosters and donors and former season ticket holders that maybe aren't anymore. Um, my message uh, to all of them is very simple. Um, for this program to be what we all want it to be and what I think it can be as head coach, we're going to need everybody. There is so much power um, from uh, this community that I see nothing but possibilities ahead of us. Um, and, and we have the power of the people. Uh, the people here are very prideful. And we need to jump on this bandwagon and jump on this train. And we got to do our part as players and coaches uh, to make them proud and to inspire them um, uh, so that they want to come back. But um, this, this thing, as it takes shape, I think, in time, can become, uh, it can become anything that we want it to be. I don't see any reason why it can't. My vision is, is to, to pack this place. There's 10,200 seats in here, and I want to coach – games in this arena where 10,200 people are in those seats. And uh, when we do that, this place will become more powerful than anybody, I think, realizes that it can be. That's my, that's my belief and my, and my vision, and I don't think anyone could uh, convince me otherwise. Uh, like I said, that's, the, that's the, uh, the job that we have here in front of us. Um, that's why I came here, and that's why we put together the staff that we did. But... Um, I've got a great vision for, for this program and what we hope it can be someday here in the near future. And um, 
I want to inspire people with the way we play, the effort that we give, and uh, the selflessness that we play with. I look forward to that day, Coach. But thank you so much for your time. I've taken up enough of it today, but I really appreciate the time, and it was a pleasure meeting you and an opportunity to sit down here today. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, John. And I want to, uh, on behalf of all of uh, Redbird fans, uh, welcome you. You're going you're gonna to do uh, an unbelievable job as the voice of the Redbirds. Um, you know, you've, you've come very highly recommended. You've got a, a tremendous reputation in this business. And, and I would urge all Redbird fans, get to know this guy. He's, uh, he's going to be a real asset to our entire community. So uh, great spending time with you here today, John. Glad to know my mother made phone calls on my behalf earlier. <laughs> That's Redbird head men's basketball coach Ryan Peden. That'll do it for this episode of In the Nest, the official podcast of Illinois State Athletics. For Coach Peden and our entire crew, this is John Fitzgerald. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time right here on In the Nest, a presentation of Redbird Sports Properties from Learfield. This has been In the Nest, the Illinois State Athletics podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation on the Xfinity Mobile Redbird Sports Network.